Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I don't know how many of you noticed that Pastor Michael didn't have on a tie. Anybody notice that? <laughs> Rumor is he's going to be in the hot dog eating contest, so he didn't want to get it, you know, messing up. <laughs> Proud of you, Michael. That's kind of our little running joke. Um, if I'm in a tie, it's not a, it's not a good day necessarily. Well, it could be. It could be a wedding, but typically it's funerals these days. But Anyway, it's good to see you today, and um, I'm Pastor Gary. For those who may not know me, and I am appreciative of the opportunity to share today as we continue uh, walking through the book of Acts, and we're in Acts chapter 16. And so if you have your Bibles um, or your smart device, whatever you may have that um, you want to use this morning to follow along, we'll be starting off with verse 16. But to kind of bring us into the context of the story Instead of just reading Scripture, it's, it's so helpful when we read Scripture and we understand the setting and we know what's taking place uh, when the Scripture is being shared, the stories are being shared. And so last week, Pastor Michael shared a, a great sermon on, on um, Paul's journey. So Paul is on his second missionary journey. He split from um, Barnabas, and now he is, he is traveling with Silas. Uh, they stop in Lystra, and there he meets this young man named Timothy. Timothy is probably 15 years younger or so than Paul is. And so Paul becomes a spiritual mentor in his life, and, and he invites Timothy on uh, this trip with him. And so they're, they're going through this, this second missionary trip, the, the second of what would be three trips that Paul would take during his ministry. And so as they're going through, um, as, as we shared last week, as Michael shared last week, they're blocked. They're, they're planning on going to preach the gospel, and the Lord blocks them from doing that in that setting. And how God is moving even when it feels like we can't get where we want to go. Or things aren't going the way that we want them to go. He blocks in times for our benefit and for oftentimes for reasons that we may not ever even really understand or know on this side of earth. And so as, this, as their journey would continue, um, the story is being told by Luke, who wrote Acts, and Luke was a physician. And so Dr. Luke is one of four companions or three companions to Paul. So there's Paul and there's Silas and there's Timothy and there's Luke. And they are going through the cities. And as they get to uh, Philippi, this is where we pick it up in verse uh, 16. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. And so as they are in Philippi, uh, right before that we'll see that they meet uh, a lady named Lydia. Lydia is known as one of the first what will we call her? Small group leaders, if you would. She, heard, she held prayer meetings, and, and so Paul and, and his companions, they would go down and they would pray at this prayer meeting that was held outside down by the river. And so that's where we pick up the scripture. So Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, and there are probably others, but we know of these four, are on their way to prayer meeting. And so chapter 16, verse 16 Luke writing, he says, once 
when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. So here's this woman. She is possessed, and she has the ability to tell fortune. She can predict the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. So here we have some owners, probably men, who have taken advantage of this situation and are using her for personal gain, using the spirit within her. She tells Paul in verse 17, she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting. So you, you want to get this because this is really a big part of this story. She follows us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. So this demon within her sees the Spirit of God and the calling of God upon Paul and his companions and is screaming out, they are servants, or you could use the word slave, just as she was a servant or slave to her masters. They are servants, they are slaves of the Most High God who will tell you how to be saved. I find that so ironic that a demon would tell the, the, the truth in the matter of they're servants of the Most High God, and they're going to tell you how to be saved. She kept this up, verse 18, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed, or in some translations it says exasperated, and other translations it has the word greatly to annoyed, greatly annoyed, exasperated. Paul becomes so annoyed and exasperated that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. Before we go on with the text, this is where I want to stop and pause. And, and I want to I contrast this to Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, we see Jesus in a similar situation where he is going to cast the demon. Legion was the name of the, of the demon. And so as you would read Mark 5, you'll see the story where Jesus has this man come to him and the spirits in him say, do not cast us out, but put us in these pigs. About 2,000 pigs were grazing nearby. And so Jesus cast out the demons, and they went into the pigs. And the pigs, as the story would tell us, they rush in off over the bank, and they all drown in the water. So we can see the similarities, but we can also see the differences. And what I really want to point out here is so this man came to Jesus, and then afterwards the man sat with Jesus. He wanted to go on with Jesus, but Jesus told him, no, that he needed to stay here and tell others what I have done for you. Of course, those who owned the pigs were a little bit upset. I would have been. Would you have not? I mean, honestly, would, would we have not been upset had, had we had a large financial gain taken away from us and we had this huge loss financially? 2,000 pigs? That's a lot of bacon, Right? And so, being as upset as they were, they came to Jesus, and they 
humbly, I think, and, and, and respectfully, fearfully, simply ask Jesus to leave. And so Jesus leaves. The reason I want to contrast that story is I want us to understand this. That there are times in our life, if we are not careful, we can use our faith for favor. All right? That is not at all what we see Jesus do. A man came to him, and out of that, he delivered the man. The man sat with him. So it wasn't just a, a spiritual delivery of a demon or a physical delivery. The man was saved. He sat at the feet of Jesus. In contrast, when we look at this story... We see Paul, and we see Luke, and Silas, and Timothy, and, and probably a few others, every day walking to prayer meeting, and every day this woman would shout out at them, and the scripture says Paul was greatly annoyed. He was exasperated by it all. I want you to understand, I think we fall in this category oftentimes, that we will act in the name of Jesus. I can't tell you how many times I've used this phrase. I don't do it as much anymore, but at times I, I catch myself. And it's like, I just like to really slap them upside the head. In the name of Jesus, of course, right? You feel that way? It's like, but I'm going to do it in love. I'm going to get them. I'll slap them upside the head in the name of Jesus. And I think this is a moment for Paul. Now, I, I may be taking some liberties here. I have, I have searched the internet, and I haven't found any sermons like this. But as I read this, it's like, no, it's pretty clear. He was greatly annoyed. It wasn't the Spirit of God coming upon him and someone coming to him asking to be delivered. It was Paul out of his frustration and Paul out of his annoyance that cast out the demon. Was it a bad thing? Depends on who you are. So as the story continues, it turns out that it gets him in quite a bit of trouble. And so, at that moment, the spirit left, spirit left her, in verse 19, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And you read between the lines, and yeah, and they took away our livelihood. We were making a ton of money on this. And now the spirit that possesses this woman is gone, and our ability to make money is gone, and this is the guy who did it. I don't think Paul thought it all the way through. I actually think that Paul and Silas then, as well, we'll go into the story. The crowd joined in attacking Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. We can read those words, but if you stop and think about it. They strip them down to their undergarments. They take rods or reeds, and they beat them with them. I had an unfortunate experience Tuesday. I had to go to the dentist. I had a toothache, and I didn't know it, but they ended up having to extract the tooth. It feels like a couple right hooks. And I can't believe how it threw me for a loop this week. Can you imagine being stripped and beaten with rods? And I'm, I'm telling you, if I'm Paul in that moment, I'm like, man, I wish I would have kept my mouth shut right there. I wish I just would have kept my mouth shut. Because you see, we don't hear anything else about this woman. 
We don't hear anything else about her in the story. And it makes me wonder, because we heard a lot about the man who Jesus healed from the demon, who sat at the feet of Jesus. It makes me think that this was a moment where Paul, out of frustration, Paul in the middle of the emotions and the annoyance, and and it's like, you know what? In the name of Jesus, be gone. He had that power. You see, if we're not careful, we can use our faith for our favor. But when we do that outside of the leading of the Lord, it can lead to different and difficult results. And it did for Paul and Silas. So they're beaten. They're thrown into prison. It makes me think that when Paul wrote in, Rome, in, his, in his letter to Rome, the verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 28, Rome, Romans eight twenty-eight, where we know the scripture, all things work together for the good for those who are called by God according to his purpose. And I can only imagine, he's thinking back, like that time when I cast that demon out of that woman, that was me acting. I really believe it was Paul acting not on the move of the Holy Spirit. However, as we read this story, we will see that Paul said, but you know what? Even in spite of that, God used it. Even when he's blocking, God uses it. Even when we get outside of the lines a little bit, we see God at work. For all things work together for the good. I wonder what Timothy was thinking about all this. Timothy wasn't beaten and he wasn't put in prison. This is his first trip with Paul. See, I, I like to get into these stories, and I like to look at them from a, a perspective of what, would it, what, is it, what, might have, what might it have been like if I was traveling with them. And I, so I know me, and I know how I think, and I'm like, if I'm Timothy, I'm like, hmm, I'm not so sure I want to hang out with this guy. He just lost his, he just lost his cool. And he cast out this demon. And all we were doing was going to prayer meeting. And you know their ministry was being effective because we know Lydia became a strong leader. And so they were discipling the people in the church. And so it was derailed in that moment. I wonder what Timothy might have thought. Like, man, I don't know if I want to continue on this trip. But at least I'm not in prison. At least I'm not beaten like they were. How many times have you experienced someone using their faith out of the context of what it's given to us for, for favor. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do his will. Now, Paul was about God's will. And because Paul was about God's will, it would be Romans 8, 28 moment, where all things would work together for the good. So even when we misstep, God will use it. One of the things that I have learned in, in um, my real estate holdings and business that I have is, is when I'm talking with somebody, a potential tenant, and, and if they lead with this, red flags go up. And I learned this simply because I experienced it a couple times. When they lead with, I'm a Christian, I'm like, my little red flag goes up. Hmm. You're leading with that? Now, that's not a bad thing, except what I've learned is most of the time when people are leading with that is they want favor. They probably Googled me and found out I was a pastor and said, well, we'll tell them we're Christian. They'll rent to us. I don't know. But I I have learned over time that there are those people who will use their faith for favor. Now, that's not what Paul was doing, but I do think it's worthy of us thinking about today that there are times when we are forced to make decisions that in the eyes of others could begin to look 
as if we are out of line. I think there are times it can happen unintentionally, and there are times that it can happen intentionally. And so here's a couple of life experiences that I have had where I have seen favor because of my faith that actually became a hindrance. So we're, um, when I'm pastoring in West Palm, Church in the Palms, we um, were doing missionary work in uh, South America in the country of Paraguay. And we ended up planting four churches there. And on this particular trip to Paraguay, we had taken a pretty good number of people, about 25 people and about 15 or 16 students from Palm Beach Atlantic University. And, and we had an amazing, a, a huge event in Chiray, Paraguay, which is a very, very, very poor area. And we had gone there and we had actually purchased some land to build the church on. And so we were holding our first event without a building, uh, just a house there. And we were feeding those who were hungry. And we also had shipped <coughs> two containers of clothing and goods to Paraguay. And so we had all of these items and we had all of this food. And so the, gather, the, cow, the crowds gathered. Um, it was amazing to watch because I was so out of my element. When you see people walking miles and you literally, um, some people had a scooter or a little small motorcycle. Most of them were walking. And those who were really well off had um, horses with wagons. And I was like, oh my goodness, you know, um, we've really gone back in time. And you could see the needs, the, the need for clothing, the need for food. And so as we're preparing this, this event, we're preparing the food, the, the pastor who was heading up the event took those of us aside who were visiting, about 20-something of us, and said, you guys are going to eat first. It's like, well, okay. Now, for me, i got to tell you, I don't like doing that. So in our, in our church in West Palm, we had a, a lot of events where we would, we would provide food. And one of my things was, this is just my personal conviction, I didn't want to pray and take advantage of, of my prayer because I could ask everybody to bow their heads and while they're praying, go get first in line, right? You could do that. I actually took an opposite approach is that I will only eat once the line is completely down and I know there's food left over. But my main focus in that time was, was really mingling. And so if, if you see... Pastor Michael or myself first in line this morning, then we're, we're, we're faith for favor. Bad moment. But it was in that, but so, so I'm over there and I was like, I'm really not, I really don't want to do that. And they go, no, no, we want, this is what we do. This is our custom. So we did that and we sat down at picnic tables and, and we eat and it had the toughest chicken I've ever eaten in my life. I, I later found out they had killed the chickens that were roaming around and I don't know if you've ever had a filled chicken, but they're tough. They're, they're strong and muscular. And we ate, and then they brought the other crowds. Now, while we're eating, the people who are waiting are watching. And then, after we're done eating, and they start eating, I'm watching, and I am really embarrassed in this moment. There are families, literally families, standing in a circle with one plate and one utensil sharing it. And their plate didn't have any protein in it. And I thought, how in the world could anyone look up to somebody in that situation? And so for me, that was a hindrance. So the rest of the trip, I refused to eat first. I will eat and mingle in with the rest. Now, that's just a small example of what I think could become a hindrance to somebody who perhaps had come, knowing this was a church, knowing these are people who love God, and they're going to feed us, and then watching 
the favor of certain ones getting to eat a little bit better meal with their own fork and their own plate in a much more comfortable environment. Do you, do, do you capture what I'm saying here? And you may not think this is a big thing, but I think it is. Another instance I will share with you is, is we have to make this decisions in life that will hinder some but help others. We have to make tough decisions at times. And so I had found myself, and, and I'm being vulnerable in this moment. I hesitate to share it, but I'm going to share it because I want to be authentic in this moment. So I had to make a decision in a business venture I was in to terminate a partnership, knowing that if I terminated this partnership that it would have very difficult results in my relationship with this person who was a family member. However, as I had been in this partnership, I was taken back to the scripture that says, do not be unequally yoked. I should have heeded that in the beginning. And so I'm unequally yoked. And what that means is a believer and a non-believer doing business together. And what was taking place in that moment was whatever they did reflected on me in the same way that whatever I did reflected upon them. And some of the things that were taking place, I became uncomfortable with. And so I made the decision that I would sell out to the partner. As it turned out, I ended up buying it. It was a right, the right, you know, did it all the right way. But it was a very difficult situation. But in some moments in life, we have to make decisions. And I know this individual now looks at me and says, oh, you're a pastor. Oh, you're a Christian. And you did this to me. And it hurts. But in those moments, we have to say, what is it, Lord, that you're leading us to do? And the greater work of that was the many, many people that I dealt with, now I'm not unequally yoked. And the things that I was able to do out of my faith affected more in a positive way than it affected this individual in a negative way. You see, following Christ is not easy. Following Christ at times requires us to make difficult decisions. Paul made a lot of difficult decisions. Actually, he didn't even, he didn't even have to decide. He was going to do what God called him to do. And it got him in a lot of trouble. It got him beaten. It got him snake bit. It got him thrown in prison. It got him shipwrecked. It ultimately had him a martyr for Christ. But Paul was focused on who he was in Christ, and he was sold out to that. But in this moment, I really believe that Paul had a weak moment, just as I have had, just as you have had where someone could misconstrue our faith. Now, we could stop there and we could say, well, that's a good thing to point out. But how do, we, how do we overcome that? And here's really what it comes down to. You can't take one moment in someone's life and from that determine who they are in Christ. Now, if this was the only story that we had of Paul, I would conclude that Paul acted outside of the will of God. But guess what? The story doesn't end there. So he's flogged along with Silas. He's beaten with a reed. He's thrown into prison. And this is when the story gets really, really crazy. So the jailer, in verse 23, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, and fastened their feet in stocks. In other words, 
He was in the most secure place in the prison. This jailer was given strict rules, guard him closely. So about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Oh my. <laughs> midnight. It probably would have taken me a couple of days to gotten to that point, right? Nope. Nope. Paul wasn't focused on the fact that he cast out a demon. Now, the good news is, is this woman's free. She's free from this demon. And so what he did in the name of Jesus and the power of God allowed it to happen was actually benefited somebody. But we also have to remember, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose their soul? And so our prayer is, is that some of the other believers came around this woman. We don't know the whole story, but that would be my prayer is that she found not just a deliverance from this demon, but a deliverance from sin and was saved. Paul and Silas are in prison. Now, when this scripture is typically preached, this is the focus of it. And it also needs to be the focus in this moment. They're praying and they're singing, and they're not praying silently. Because it tells us that they're praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I've often thought that if I was going to sing, I would need such an audience, a captive audience, right? You know, they didn't have much choice. They're, they're in prison. It's midnight. Paul and Silas, they're praying to God. But not just praying to God, and we don't know what those prayers were. Probably prayers of protection, probably prayers of deliverance, probably prayers for the other believers, but their prayer moved into praise, and I think that's a critical point here, is that if our prayer only stays in our petitions to God and never moves to praise, that's faith for favor. Are you hearing me? When our, we're only giving our petitions to God, but we never praise God, it's all about favor. It's all about personal gain. What can I get from this? I can get rid of this annoying woman. But, but here Paul and Silas, they have moved from pray, praying to praising God in a very ugly and difficult situation where they physically were in pain. Their hands and feet were bound in shackles. You've got to picture the setting. It's not like our prisons today. It'd be an open prison in the, in the inner cell, and, and they're shackled. All Everyone is shackled, and they're praying, and they're praising God. When our prayer moves from prayer to praise, we have, in that moment, I believe, met the desires of the heart of God and the desires that we have, that I just can't focus on who I am. I need to focus on who he is, and that's what Pastor Jordan was saying to us today. Do you believe it when we sing? Do we believe that the praise can usher in the power of God? As they praised God, the power of God came into that place. And in verse 24 or 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. You want to be released from the chains and shackles of this world, metaphorically, 
It's praying and praising God. It frees the heart. It takes the focus off our condition. And it puts the focus on a God who sees us, a God who knows our circumstances. Even if we brought it on ourselves with a, a little bit of misuse, the heart of Paul and Silas, they were out giving the gospel. They were out building the church and setting up the church in different cities. Their prayer and their praise was to a God who saw them and sent an earthquake. Well, you can say, well, God didn't send the earthquake. Okay, but everyone's shackles and chains fell off too. Explain that one. And it wasn't just Paul and Silas who were freed. So you don't want to miss that either. You see, when we are praying and praising God, those who are around us are find favor, the same favor that we have in God to some level. And so all the prisoners were free. As the jailer woke up, as you would if there's an earthquake, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. You see, he knew that he would be put to death, probably a much slower and agonizing death than falling on his own sword. Paul, seeing this, shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. Stop again. What? If I'm in prison and the doors fly open and my shackles fall off, I'm out of here, right? I mean, isn't that human nature? No, no, maybe they didn't have time. I don't know. But the doors are open. The shackles are off. Why would I stay here? Paul, seeing the jailer, he calls out for him. The jailer calls, turn on the lights. And so they hit the light switch. No, they, they probably had to light them. So it took a minute. We forget that. He called for the lights. And so they rushed in and fell, trembling before Paul and Silas. Trembling. They fell in front of them. And here was his words. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so you see the progression of prayer, praise, and now presentation. That was for me, the peace, so I could remember it. They presented at this moment, not themselves. What must I do to be saved? Well, a couple, couple of chariots and a bag of silver will help. And an escort out of this place. No, what must I do to be saved? They presented the gospel. <laughs> what else would they do? That's who they are. They replied, believe in, the, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer then took them and washed them, washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. This jailer not only found that his life had been saved because the prisoners didn't leave, but he found spiritual salvation. He found forgiveness of sin. He found a most holy living God. The same God that Paul and Silas knew came to him. And they were baptized. Then the jailer, verse 34, brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. 
we're going to face things in our life where we intentionally or unintentionally have to make decisions that, that hurt other people. And I don't know about you, I've been hurt by people in the church. Any of you? We've all been hurt to some degree. Intentional, unintentional. You see, that's not the point. The point in this story is not that these men lost their livelihood. Well, they're exploiting this woman to start with. Who cares? But they drummed up false charges and had all of these, these things thrown at them. And so they experienced heartache and hardship because of the lies told about them. What did they do? They prayed. They praised God. And when they had the opportunity, they presented the gospel. But I want to add one more. They never positioned themselves above God. You see, the favor of the Lord that they had upon him was from his hand and not their hand. And so when we find ourselves in like positions, where perhaps we have hurt somebody, or we have been hurt, or the circumstances were, were such that not everybody could have the same outcome in the decisions that have to be made. Maybe there are layoffs at work and one person keeps their job and another person doesn't. How do we walk through this world and this life and the circumstances that we face? It's in prayer. I think it's, I think it's right to, to share with God how we feel, what our hurts are. I think it's right to ask for his help. I think it's wrong to stop there. I think it's right to go to praise. But Lord, I praise you. Even as Job would say, even though you slay me, I will praise you because you are my God. Pray, praise, present the gospel, and never ever position yourself in front of others, but always, as Jesus did, take the position of a servant, which is what we see Paul and Silas do in this story. I think those are things that we can take with us today. I think those are things that heal hurts. I think those are things that comfort us for things that decisions perhaps that we've had to make. But whatever the case would be in your life, it's my prayer for you this morning that you would focus on who God is. Talk to him, praise him, share him. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.